The True Crime Click is a podcast intended for mature audiences only. This podcast discusses sensitive topics, including sexual abuse, murder, and kidnapping. Listener's discretion is advised. The opinions expressed in the following episode do not necessarily reflect the views of the True Crime Click, its members, or its hosts. All accused are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. And we're back. Episode seven. That's wild. Who knew we'd make it this far? We damn sure didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I damn sure did not. But but here we are. Here we are. And just making it. We're loving it. We're loving the support you guys are giving us. And the merch has been purchased by a few people. And we appreciate that. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah, if you're interested in our merch, you can go to truecrimeclick.com slash merch. We have a couple different like sticker options and things like that. So, And we're toying with some other things, but we're trying to see how well that works before we we move forward. For sure, for sure. And I am Allie. And I'm Hannah. (laughs) And we are the True Crime Click. We come at you every Thursday with a new true crime episode about a case that you've probably never heard of most likely Hmm. yeah most likely (laughs) i actually this one um this case that we're talking about today i actually searched like for podcasts about this particular case and this is the first one that there was nothing there was one youtube video that gave like a very brief synopsis of the case and we're I feel like we're doing like groundbreaking, groundbreaking work. First okay. on the scene from 1990. I mean, I for the on the I podcast, wasn't even born yet. Podcast scene. I was. <laughs> yeah, I was. Well, maybe. There. No, you weren't born yet. What was it? What month? May. Yeah, oh, you weren't born yet. Just missed it. <laughs> just missed it. It's August baby over there. <laughs> um, so today we're going to talk about Marilyn Mitchell. It's Marilyn K. Mitchell. She was born in Ozark. Alabama, the booming metropolis, um, in, in June, um, June 13th of 1967. Um, she was born at the Dale County Medical Center, which is also a fun fact where I was born, but they don't um, deliver babies anymore. <clears throat> hmm. But Not regardless, really regardless, uh, she was born to her parents, Jean and Norma Mitchell. Um, she was their only child. They had her kind of late in life. And she was just described as a happy and vivacious child and having no siblings. Naturally, the sun just like rose and set with Marilyn in her parents' eyes. As far as her childhood, we don't know a whole lot about her life growing up. Mm -hmm. But we do know that she was absolutely loved by her family and friends. And she attended Carroll High School where she graduated in 1985. Um, What's funny, Allie, is that your moms remembered her from high school. I was about to say my moms went there. Yeah. Your moms remembered her, and they described her, they both described her as just lovely. Oh, Um, okay. Yeah, that she was, they just went on and on about how kind she was, and not only did they remember Marilyn, they also remembered John Beasley, which was Marilyn's high school sweetheart. So, in high school... John and Marilyn were like the Mr. and Mrs., you know what I mean? Like, everybody Mm -hmm. knew they were going to end up together. Um, 
regardless, and they were going to make it way past high school. So when they graduated and they both went to the University of Alabama, roll tide, <laughs> nobody was surprised. So I second that. So John went to study business, and Marilyn, in direct cohesion with her kind and giving spirit, was to study nursing at the Capstone College in Tuscaloosa. Good on you. Right? It's not easy. (laughs) So over the next four years, they would continue to attend college and continue dating and would become engaged sometime over those four years. It's not exactly clear when they you know, mm-hmm. sealed the deal somewhat. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So they get engaged, and they're planning their life together even before so. I mean, they, they just knew that they were going to be mm-hmm. together for a really long time regardless. But once they were engaged, that's when, like, all bets were off, and they really started planning. And so in the spring of 1990, with graduation approaching, Marilyn starts applying for jobs. And just before graduation, she's offered a job at Southeast Alabama Medical Center in Dothan, Alabama. Which is where I was born. Well, there you go. Full circle. (laughs) They got us both. There you go. (laughs) So um, Southeast Alabama Medical Center, which is now known as Southeast Health, is one of the two hospitals located in Dothan. And in 1990, it was the fourth largest hospital in the state, which I had no idea about that. Yeah, it's actually um, something I learned in nursing school. Their hospitals have levels, and Southeast is a higher-level hospital because they are because we live so close to the Farley, the nuclear plant. Hmm. If there was a disaster, Southeast would have to. Mm-hmm. Isn't that kind of scary? But yeah, oh, that's Sorry, horrifying. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, chances are, if something happens, we won't know. We'll be gone before we. Realize. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) so she gets she gets offered a job at Southeast Health. So with it being such a large hospital, now it's like the eighth in the state or something. But regardless, um, to get a job as an RN fresh out of school, like literally just contingent on her passing her boards, it was a really great opportunity and she was really excited. Mm -hmm. Um, So in addition to the anticipation of starting her career, Marilyn and John had also set a date for their wedding to take place like later in the summer of 1990, which is wild because um, it's like hot a as hell, billion degrees in Alabama. Ooh. Anywhere between like August and October, it's like makes hell feel like they had the AC on, but whatever. You do you, boo. Yeah. So <laughs> each their own. Wild. Roasting out there. So. They set their date for later in the summer of 1990, and they were looking at homes in the Dothan area that was near both of their jobs. And after some looking, they found a small townhouse available in the then-growing subdivision of Chapelwood at 201 Chapelwood Drive, which is like 15 minutes from my house. Yeah, Yeah, super close. Um, Just days following graduation in early May of 1990, Marilyn and John signed their lease and headed to King's Furniture and Appliance to purchase Good old King's. to purchase furniture for their first home together on May the 12th of 1990. Dude, what an exciting time. You freaking graduate college. You get you're your, living the life. You get your first house. You're planning a wedding. I mean, damn. 
and you get to go furnish it with some partially used furniture. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, you know, there's still good stuff. I'm not saying it like that, but I'm like, 22 years old, you're living your life here. Yeah. You're doing big things Just for 22. I didn't know what my first name was when I was 22. I had two kids. No. Yeah, I still go in and out. I had one kid. I had one kid. Yeah, there. No. Almost two. So <laughs> on May the 14th, all the furniture that they had just picked out a couple days before was delivered to their new house, and it really started feeling like a home. So they were unpacking and organizing and figuring out exactly you know how they wanted everything. And on the morning of May 15th, as John was leaving for the day, Marilyn said that she was going to be baking a cake for her mom's upcoming birthday, and he kissed her goodbye and left. Now, if it was just a normal day for John, that would all change when he returned home that evening. He walked through the door and called out to Marilyn, but got no response. He looked in the kitchen and saw the flour and the sugar on the counter. Obviously, you know, at at some point of the process of baking the cake that she had talked about earlier. Now, when he still got no response, he decided to head upstairs, and that's when he would make the discovery that would haunt him for the rest of his life. At the top of the stairs on the landing, he found his fiance Marilyn K. Mitchell, lying dead in a pool of her own blood. She was wearing only a t-shirt and was naked from the waist down with her legs spread wide. John mm. was horrified and immediately called 911. Oof. Oof is right. So when the police arrived, they determined that Marilyn's death was caused by multiple stab wounds, and she was obviously sexual assault, sexually assaulted. Um, later on, they determined that not only did she have multiple stab wounds, there were 38 stab wounds. Jeez. Um, there was also evidence that Marilyn had taken a shower with her killer because her hair had been wet and there were like wet towels about um which was discouraging to law enforcement because they were like well even though dna was like in its infancy like dna evidence and gathering and storing and all that was in its infancy they were hopeful that they would be able to pull some dna for a later for later use but were discouraged because she had taken a shower and but they were she afraid was sexually assaulted well they were afraid that everything had been washed off i mean you know what I mean? So whenever they determine, you know, she's been stabbed 38 times, she's been sexually assaulted and bathed, this was like an obvious frenzy because 38 stab wounds, Jesus Christ. So they determine that even though it was a frenzy, it had to have taken some time. You know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't just like a quick, like in and out definitely ambush or whatever so they decide to go and talk to all of their neighbors because somebody had to have heard or seen something but they get nothing no one saw anything no one heard anything no screaming no fighting and they live in a townhouse so you would think that if there was some noise you would hear that right and this is like a it's it's its own like isolated building it's like uh, its own house, so it's right? Not connected. Right. But this is a subdivision. And I mean, you've been in Chapelwood. Yeah. They're 25 yards apart. Yeah. At the very most, I would say. Not super large yards. Right. 
I mean, they're all like a half acre and less. So the, that's, that kind of baffles the police that nobody would hear or see anything. Also, Marilyn was like a compulsive, was compulsive about locking her doors and there was no forced entry on any of the entrances. So that's when they think, oh, well, she must have known who it was that that did this to her. She must have known them and must have let them in. Yeah. However, every man in her life is quickly ruled out. They all have alibis. You know, there's, there's just no way that anyone that she knew well could have done this. Now, I know what you're thinking. She was sexually assaulted. Where's the DNA? Yeah. Well, it's in 1990. That's where it is. DNA was in its very, very, very early stages, the use of DNA evidence. There had only been like a handful of cases that had been used to identify a killer up until this point. And those had, I think there was like five or six, and they had only started from like 1989. So, I mean, we're in like the very beginning. They couldn't have swabbed to keep for later? Well... Luckily, law enforcement had enough foresight to know that it was developing, and they did. And they find them. out in, in that process that Marilyn had been raped, bathed, stabbed, and then raped again. So not only had she been raped one time, but he, the, the killer raped her again after going through all of this to conceal the evidence in the first place. I know. With a corpse at that point. There's no way she lived through 38 stab wounds. Anyway. Ew. Gross. So, at this point, the case goes cold. Mm-hmm. There's, they've exhausted every lead that they have up until this point. And then, in 1996, in the process, because DNA has developed significantly up until this point yeah the state of alabama is in the process of obtaining all the dna from all of their violent criminals that are currently in custody that are currently in prison right and lo and behold do they find a match so in 1996 law enforcement identifies Maryland's killer as 37-year-old Artez Hammonds. Artez. Zero stars. No stars. No stars to be seen of this asshat. <laughs> so he's actually being, um, he's already been sentenced to another crime. He's serving his time in a state prison for the attempted murder of another Dothan woman who he had tried to drown in a toilet. That, that didn't work. I was like, oh, let me read that back. <laughs> In a toilet. So anyway, they identify him as Marilyn's killer. The DNA matches. The, whole, the math is mathin', right? Two plus two is four. And in 1996, his trial begins. Okay. In 1997, jury finds him completely guilty of capital murder, murder made capital by rape, and he is sentenced to death. Oh, we had a death penalty? We have a death penalty. We do? 
Yeah, I think we've already discussed this. I'm still amazed by it, but okay. No comment. Okay, moving on. (laughs) But in 2018, before his death death sentence could be carried out, Mm -hmm. Alabama passed a law, which we've talked about before, where it gave death row inmates an option of how they wanted to carry out their execution. And instead of lethal injection... Artez Hammonds was one of those inmates that chose it's it's like nitrogen it's basically suffocation oh no yeah uh-uh. no I would give definitely, me that injection all yeah. the way no night night quick quick <laughs> just do it Get so to it. even though they had all the DNA evidence that's not the only evidence that they had against him um, he also pawned Marilyn's engagement ring uh. He pawned her engagement ring, and he said, you know, he'd never seen her, never known her. Yeah, how, how, I'm just baffled, like, how do you just show up at her house randomly? He didn't show up at her house randomly at all. Okay. At the time of the murder, (laughs) Artez Hammonds was a furniture delivery man for King's Furniture. Oh. And he showed up at, he showed up at her house on May the 15th of 1990, knocked on the door, and said, you know, hi, I delivered furniture to your house yesterday, and I think I may have left my wallet in the house. I just can't find it anywhere. And she said, sure, come on in. And once he got inside, he overpowered her. Son of a bitch, man. Overpowered her, raped her, bathed her, raped or stabbed her. We don't know the the exact order. order. Um, however, once she was dead, he lit a cigarette and put it out on her body and walked Just out like nothing absolutely happened. Absolutely disgusting human being. Trash can human. I would have put him in the chair. The worst. He doesn't get a choice. Put him in the chair. The worst. I want to watch this happen. But at this point, his execution hasn't even been, like, there's no date to his execution at this point. He is still... Living out a death sentence. He's still on death row. Yeah, he's still on death row. How does that work? I just, my my mind doesn't comprehend. What what part? You stab somebody 37 times and you're still, oh, we're just going to put him on death row. Just inject him, homie. Just do it. Well, it's 38, but I see where, I know what you're, I know what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? I get what you're saying. Let's just do Um, it. So. (laughs) We're paying for him to be there. (laughs) It's actually um, more expensive more expensive to kill someone like to carry out a death sentence than it is for them to live out their lives it's all right I, I would take one for the team i mean i'm just saying just that math that math is there but when in the state of alabama whenever you're sentenced to death it automatically goes for an appeal but dude's out of appeals at this point and he asked for the federal courts to look at his case in 2019 and they refused they said no sir what exactly do you want us to look at? Yeah, no. How many times you stabbed her? No, he don't want to look at that. Yeah, not the pictures that. again. Yeah, not that. He don't want you to look at any of that. The pawn record of you taking her ring and pawning her ring. What's funny is in his appeals, he makes a lot of comments about the prosecutor, um, Doug Valeska. He talks about like how he was mean and how he just said a bunch of like nonsense things, which. 
very well could have happened. However, it didn't change the facts. You know what I'm saying? That you're just a shit human. Yeah, it doesn't change the facts. <laughs> yeah. But in his first appeal, um, Artes Hammonds asked the court to throw out the fact that he, he used his Fourth Amendment right as the unlawful search and seizure, that they had no right to take his DNA even though he was an inmate. And they said, no, sir, that's not how that goes. Yeah, I don't agree with that. That's not how it works. But since since all this has happened, so it's been, let's see, 1990, 32 years. 32 years since Marilyn's murder. Literally last week, 32 years. And since then, um, Jean and Norma Mitchell, Marilyn's parents, they are still alive. They are still mm-hmm. living in... Ozark and when I talked I talked to a few like of our news anchors and you know, people like that and they said that in the many times that they went and interviewed them that their whole house is like like a shrine to Marilyn and that made me want to hug them I know um it's and heartbreaking her life was just starting oh my gosh like all like the had everything going for ah that's so frustrating yeah and then you have the audacity to want an appeal just t- take your punishment <laughs> well john um actually went on and had two daughters and he passed away in 2015 i believe and even in his obituary it says preceded in death by his beloved fiance marilyn mitchell oh that just gave me chills i know i read that like six months ago and it gave me chills again <laughs> bless his heart I can't imagine that trauma of like you don't I don't think you ever get over seeing something no, like that. There's no way. There's no way. I mean, this was senseless. Yeah. Absolutely senseless. And he obviously has no remorse for his crimes. No, he did it again. He tried to do it again. Yeah. He tried to kill someone else. It's it's uh, I don't my mind just doesn't comprehend yeah no humans like that but and capstone college has also they've made a memorial like a little memorial garden on campus dedicated to maryland's memory as well Hmm. nice so that kind of wraps our story up this is our first first case with some resolution i hope everyone feels very content Yeah, I, I needed that. My heart needed that because these ones where we don't have any justice, I'm... it's frustrating, man. But you know what? That's why we're here. We want to bring awareness to those and make sure that they are seen and heard. And Exactly. And just because Marilyn's killer has been you know, found and been tried and is being sentenced, we think that she still deserves to be talked about. Yeah, and the awareness still needs to be there of, you know, there's, what happened to her. And There's no reason that we've lived in Dothan, or the Dothan area, me for 27 years, and didn't hear her name until February of this year. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, this is a brutal and awful thing that happened, and I think it's nuts that it's just... Helping her legacy live on. Right. Well... Alrighty, well that wraps us up for this week, but we will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.
And don't forget that 25% of our merch store proceeds for the month of May will go to Mental Health America, an organization designed to promote mental health as being just as important as our physical health. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts.